0: Welcome back to Conversations with Coco and Friends. I'm your host, Coco, a.k.a. Katrina Smart. Every episode, I'll be having real conversations with the people who inspire me. We go deep and we go there. And I've got my girls with me. This podcast is co-hosted by two of my friends who I happen to also work with. Cleo is a kick-ass producer and a problem solver, and Pilar is an insane director and social media manager. We hope you enjoy these conversations as much as we enjoy having them. This season on CWC, we went there. We became clitorate, went deep into ethical non-monogamy. We even pushed the envelope and discussed uh, volume squirting. It still makes me laugh, but I'm so glad we learned so much about it with the world record holder herself. Sadly, this is our last episode with our partners at KY for Sexual Health Awareness Month. So you better believe we are pushing the envelope for you yet again. Today, we're sitting down to discuss sexual taboos and a lot more with sexual freedom philosopher and author, Nicole Hodges. Welcome, Nicole. Over the past month, we've unpacked so many nuances within human sexuality, but we haven't heard or discussed the title, Sexual Freedom Philosopher. Could you explain what that means, Nicole? Sure. Um, I've
1: always found titles to be really interesting in that they can feel limiting. At the same time, when I was developing the work that I'm doing, especially in sexuality, I didn't find a title that really reflected the expansive kind of questioning way that I wanted to go about it, where I wasn't necessarily seeking one particular answer. I was looking to ask questions that instigated conversation where we could explore not so much what the answer is, but the questions that we ask ourselves in order to even reach a conclusion. Mm. And for me, philosophy has always been that wandering kind of Socratic method of dialogue where it's not about a grand conclusion. Sometimes why we have to ask a question is actually more important than the question itself. Bang, bang. I love that.
0: That's beautiful.
2: Nicole, you mentioned the work that you do for people who aren't familiar with you. Can you just give us a little background on who you are, what you do and
1: how you got into this? Sure. So um, I run a men's health organization called Men Who Take Baths. So that's one of the things that I do. I put men in bubble baths and I interview them about masculinity, what it means to be a man. We turn that into art shows and parties. We have a video series as well. Uh, we also have month-long men's groups that are all based on men being able to form deeper friendships with one another. So that's how I'm kind of addressing the male side of this. The female side I run something called Girls Who Say Fuck. And with that, I create events. uh, I I kind of brand them as benevolent BDSM-inspired events that are meant to bring women together to foster deeper friendships within an erotic environment. So I found the energy of eroticism to be incredibly potent. I kind of describe eroticism as the distance between two people is no longer empty. And so when you get women together in a group and you're able to foster intimacy through eroticism, uh, and that's where BDSM comes in, I find that there's there's a lot of healing that takes place. So when I looked at my guiding light, I guess, which is to heal the divide, I wanted to make sure that I was speaking to women and helping women heal and speaking to men and helping men heal with the idea that healing is something that you innately know the answer to, but I just provide opportunities for you to explore other realms of yourself through these environments and these projects. Love it. And I wrote a book. Casual. Casual. What's your book? (laughs) The book is called, it's a Dr. Seuss style book, uh, book about the power of orgasms. It's called, Oh, the Places You'll Go, Oh, Oh. And I actually brought a <laughs> copy it. from oh, yes. yay. So. <laughs>
0: That's so oh, awesome. My gosh. I Thank love that. You. Like breaking down all the boundaries around sex is so super interesting to me because even how you just brought up this idea about, there's so much pent up frustration, I believe, between, not only between the sexes, but between like the same gender. Mm. Um, based on like the unknown or... Uh, things that we're not allowed to talk about. Mm -hmm. And so I just love what you just said because it feels like it opens up so much space because you've let go so many boundaries.
1: Well, I think most of the disagreements that we have or the misunderstandings that we have have a lot to do with power. Mm -hmm. And even when I was looking at the book, for instance, I wanted to find a beginning point because the, the, the book is about kind of the ongoing journey that one can have in discovering or rediscovering their sexuality through a variety of characters that they made or circumstances that they might come across. And so when I was looking for... A starting point I went back to kind of I guess the most like culturally relevant starting point which is quote losing your virginity and that alone when I'm trying to talk about and create a more sexually liberated mindset the fact that losing your virginity which already implies that one gender is beholden to another for some form of transition that was problematic for me and so I I went on a secondary campaign, which was to rebrand the whole concept of virginity so that young girls or women are not beginning their sexual journey at a deficit, feeling like they've already lost or given something up because that language is so embedded in our culture that we hardly realize what we're saying. And yet we're trying to untie all these knots later in life. Language matters. (laughs) Words matter. Yeah.
3: So much. I have strong feelings about chastity culture and I'm unpacking a lot of them right now because I'm very like rebuking it at a visceral level. So obviously one glance at your Instagram and, you know, through this conversation we've already had, it's really apparent you're an expert on BDSM. So for someone looking for a deeper understanding of what BDSM means and encompasses, what would you say would be a great starting point?
1: Mm, That's a really good question. So first of all, I think it's important to just know what BDSM stands for. And then you can kind of break each one down. So BDSM is bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, sadism and masochism. And I really like, again, like pulling in wisdom from philosophers. Heraclitus is a is an old Greek philosopher, I think from, oh gosh, don't quote me on this. I'll look that up later, but I'm seeing the word 15 in my mind's eye. So <laughs> somewhere far away, but he basically said, and I think he nailed it Um, And it's funny how these wisdoms keep coming back to us in different wording, but that everything is connected. That one thing cannot exist without the other. Day cannot exist without night. Pain cannot exist without pleasure. It is one thing that informs the other. Therefore, all things are one Mm -hmm. because all things are only possible with its counterbalance. And when I think about BDSM, I think about that as well. That's why I love the way that the words are grouped together, right? You have bondage and discipline. You have dominance and submission. You have sadism and masochism. You have someone who likes administering pain and someone who likes receiving You like someone who wants to be in a subordinate position and you have somebody that wants to exert that power in order for that person to let go and fully release into that surrender uh, and that person as their guide. You have discipline and you have bondage. So you have somebody who wants to be disciplined or you have somebody who wants to be uh, kind of put within strict parameters, whether that's limited in their ability to say something or their ability to move. And you have someone who's an expert in administering that, whether that's uh, through rote play or just through psychological kind of barriers. Mm -hmm. And so I think the best thing to do if someone's interested in this is, well, let me think about where I first started. I had to open myself up to the possibility that there was a version of me that existed that I hadn't met yet. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you open yourself up to that possibility, you start to align yourself or you start to notice other things. I learned a term the other day and it's called the reticular activating system. And essentially what it is, is it's your brain filtering out anything that you have deemed unnecessary. So, if you start to believe that you are a person who wants to explore kink and wants to explore BDSM as, as a part of that kink, or you're a person who maybe feels like they're not completely in touch with their sexuality and wants to start exploring that, start letting yourself believe that that's possible and that version of you is possible. And you'll start to notice other things. And you'll start to attract people into your life that will help you with that.
2: We found generally that BDSM became more mainstream, if you will, for lack of a better term, Hmm. after the Fifty Shades of Grey movie series. And online, there appears to be a bit of an uproar from the BDSM community about how that movie was detrimental to BDSM practices and how it poorly repped people who actually participate in a BDSM lifestyle. Can you maybe elaborate on what the most significant misconceptions of that film
1: were? Absolutely, it's an easy one, consent. So I think what it was is consent wasn't explicit. And something that you'll find in in BDSM communities or in the practice in general is that there's planning involved, planning of a scene right? That can include negotiation of what you want to have happen or don't. S- the use of safe words. So something usually strange that wouldn't generally be integrated into the context. So stop is not one, but pineapple might be something, right? We've heard that before. Um, the other one is, again, like this is all kind of encapsulated in consent um, and then aftercare. And what what Fifty Shades of Grey and E.L. James, I believe, as the author showed us, is that There is a deep undercurrent of longing, of of unmet needs within women. And those unmet needs were manifested as women opening a book and for the first time feeling desire or maybe feeling desire again in a long time. And that energy was put out into the world and it was it was met with a lot of pushback from the BDSM community. And that might have caused a lot of people to actually think then that the way they felt about it was wrong. So I think the opportunity is, is how are we talking about consent in mainstream culture? Um, if you really want to look at another example, look at the notebook. The notebook is absolutely riddled with moments of I guess you could say like non-explicit consent where this man is pushing against a woman's nose constantly. He's not letting it go. And we fucking loved it. (laughs) We loved it. There's something called consensual non-consent, which is that you consent to non-consent. So, in a scene for instance you might be like no 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 we mustn't we can't we simply must not it's forbidden it's illegal (laughs) and and the but you know you're kind of like (laughs) like, like, winking at the person being like but this is when you keep going (laughs) you know like that. People rape fantasies as well amongst women are huge. To be overtaken is there's there's nothing wrong with that with that ravenous desire that you have, but that needs to be explicitly stated. And I think where uh, Fifty Shades Gray got under people's skin was that it just it just really missed the mark, and you could tell that the author did not consult with anybody Mm -hmm. in these communities to at least find out like what are some words some phrasing some kind of like nuances even that i can put in here that are like hey i get that we need to create a safe container for this stuff to happen
2: many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care
0: Can we we push on that a little bit more? Because Mm -hmm. that was one of our questions that we're going to talk about later and we're back and forth on whether we're even going to bring it up about this idea of um, a fantasy, like a rape fantasy. Like even just saying that, I find that because I'm not part of this world and I haven't learned anything, but I want to learn. (laughs) How is that negotiated in a way that we can use a word that's so full of Mm -hmm. like trigger and trauma, Mm -hmm. um, and turn that into something that can be full of pleasure?
1: Trauma is a strain on our nervous system, and a lot of that comes because it was unpredictable, and it was out of our control. Within a negotiated scene, especially a rape scene, for somebody to have the autonomy and the power to change the ending by reenacting it is incredibly healing. There's a lot of healing potential, and there's a lot of potential to allow your nervous system to almost be de-triggered, By reenacting what happened, but now you're in a position of power. Now you can turn that pain into pleasure. Now you can change the ending. Now you can say yes instead of no. Or you can say no and you can love it. Whatever way you want to go about it. There's a lot of safety in fantasy. You don't even have to have experienced sexual assault to also be uh, intrigued by rape fantasies. Because again, it's that feeling of... Safely being overwhelmed by knowing that you can push yourself and push your limits and, and really push up against taboos mm-hmm. and the kind of fringes of your imagination, but do it in a safe way.
0: Okay, I'm gonna push it a little bit more. <laughs> and it's not that I disagree with you, but is there what is there ever any discussion within the community to change that word, or is it or is the language around calling it rape necessary? like a rape fantasy.
1: I can't speak for the entire community, but I can express why I think it's important to call it what it is. That which we resist persists. To call it something else is to give more power to the word when we are reframing that particular word and circumstance within a context of safety that helps our nervous system relax again. I don't know if it would have the same effect if the association wasn't so blunt and direct.
0: So I have a question from our audience. that is a, very in line with you communicating our desires. They asked, how would you tell your partner about a fetish or fantasy you may have specifically if it's more taboo in nature?
1: Hmm. Well, okay. So it's specifically taboo in nature. See, I don't
0: know what that yeah, means. Yeah, I know. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, let's go back to the very beginning. <laughs> like, Just think about someone who is very new to sex i suppose in just general but and when we're speaking about taboo it's not mainstream i suppose like um any kind of kink really and this is like uh someone asking who really wants to start exploring with their partner but maybe their partner is resistant Mm -hmm. or has never Mm -hmm. heard and Mm -hmm. they haven't had this conversation yet like what's the first thing you kind of how do you start to have this conversation with your partner
1: Okay, yeah. So that makes sense. Kink is generally defined as any as any form of sex um, that's outside of normalcy. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all agree that we don't really believe in that word. Right. Yeah, um, definitely, normal is yeah. a spectrum. I mean, even yeah. calling people vanilla who are not involved in kink at all is bothersome to me. Um, in the same way that we also attack monogamy. I think that especially as we allow ourselves to become more expansive, we can't forget that there are a lot of people that that still resonates with and that's totally okay. So that being said, your partner or the person that you'd like to engage in this kink with, they might not be into it. And that's, that's totally fine as, as a starting ground. They might also have never been given the opportunity to realize that they might be. So I would say the first thing is when you're going to bring it up to them in your mind, first go in with you exploring. This is not dependent on them.
0: Ah, wow. That's, That's a good one.
1: Um, The other thing that I would say to that is, these discussions around kink although they can seem taboo and we associate taboo with dark and shadowy it's <laughs> these things are fun. Yeah. This is this is play. This is this is good for us. This is imagination, this is creativity. And so when you approach them, you know, it doesn't need to be this thing that you're slinking towards them with like a cat that's just found a mouse and is like, "What do you think about this thing that's kind of weird? Do you want to kiss it?" <laughs> <laughs> it's a part of you that you want to explore and that can come from a place of it being just fun and casual. Um, There's this, there's this website, I believe it's called bdsmtest.org and you can answer a series of questions and it'll basically give you all of these rankings. How dominant are you? How submissive are you? Are you into age play? Um, How vanilla are you? Are you a masochist, a sadist, do you like bondage? Are you a rope bunny? It'll basically rank you. And that doesn't mean that it's true, but it does give you a starting point for something to reflect mm-hmm. back at you, what might be. What's age play? Age play is when you engage in... Um, some t- type of sexual play where you're not the age that you actually are. So a typical uh, age play scenario might be somebody pretending that they're really, really, really young. Okay. Hmm. Um. Another one could be someone who's really, really old, like just <laughs> geriatrics, sexy, <laughs> whatever you're into. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
2: And what about rope bunny?
1: Yeah. Um, rope bunnies. So. Just somebody who uh, likes being tied up. Um, Period. Yeah. Uh, Shibari is a little bit... Shibari is kind of like the more intricate version of what a rope bunny is. A rope bunny could also be someone who's considered a bottom. So you generally look at four kind of roles with... BDSM, I guess you could say, in, in terms of the um, dominance and submission aspect, which is like a top, a bottom, a dominant, and a submissive. So you can be a bottom without being a submissive, which means that let's say I come to you and I want to tie you up as part of a rope demonstration. That doesn't necessarily mean you're submissive to me, but it does mean that in this particular case, you're my bottom. So it's someone who might offer their time or their body to someone who is considered a top or a dominant, but they don't have to have that power dynamic between the two of them. So a rope bunny might be somebody who they don't identify as a submissive,
3: but they like being tied up.
2: Got it.
1: Okay.
3: No,
2: thank you for explaining that. <laughs> uh, you into it?
3: <laughs> <laughs> we might take that BDSM test. Um, okay. yeah. we'll no, definitely. Put, we'll, yeah. We're going to link that. Yeah, we're going to link it in the show notes for sure. We're all going to go home like, <laughs> yeah. we're like, guys, what are you? <laughs> So, we learned in a previous episode that we did called Becoming Cliterate" with Kat Kova. Mm. Shameless plug for anybody, if you haven't listened to it already, go back and check it out. Um, there's a symbiotic relationship between pleasure and pain, which we've chatted about a little bit here, mm-hmm. um, when it comes to sex, specifically BDSM. So, for people who are entering that kinkier space, how do you identify the difference between a kinky session with your person and then the fine line between where it might become abusive, and because they can obviously ride a really similar line. So, how can someone differentiate if someone is like a true, let's say a Dom, or I don't know the right language for it, but, or someone who's a phony baloney?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, this is where we start getting into power and what power actually is. Power is not the subjugation of another for personal gain when you are engaged in dominance and submission and power play especially which it sounds like you're you're kind of asking about is that dynamic you are you are experiencing true attunement with another person you are so aware of the subtleties of their breath of their movement of their body the way that Marks might be showing up on them. Their eyes. You're all. You also have the ability to communicate verbally. Although some subs or people experiencing subspace do tend to um, go inward, or they they don't necessarily want to speak. But you always have the safe word, mm-hmm. right? Somebody who is abusing power is obviously and continuously blowing by all of those signs and signals. And the next thing is. I mentioned aftercare. Abuse looks like an apology, but no real change of behavior, mm-hmm. no no reparation, and a fake apology in the sense where it's meant to be a salve for a situation, not mm-hmm. a true change, where then you may experience the you know post-abuse honeymoon phase where you feel really connected to the person and everything's different and all to realize that it's not, and you can become... Accustomed to that cycle and that feeling that is not a true and healthy relationship between a dom and a sub where even if you have made a mistake as a dom, which happens uh, where maybe you overlooked something. Aftercare is an opportunity to decompress together because there's something called top space as well or dom space where you also need care. Mm -hmm. You're also coming back to reality from this parallel universe that you've explored and created together. Mm -hmm. You then come back and talk about what it was like, what worked, what didn't, how did both of you feel? That's truly how you close the seal on this container that you've both willingly allowed yourselves to create. There's not a lot of room for abuse when you're so open to feedback.
0: Does that conversation always happen? Like because with the last conversation we had with was with Lola Jean and we talked to her yes. about uh, like some, she was talking about uh, going to not it wasn't sex club it was like parties mm-hmm. and sometimes she just watches and then sometimes she engages it depends on how she's feeling and other people you know, she kind of broke it down how it's not like you see in movies where it's just like everybody's like ah, let's orgy, you know? Like, but I wonder, does it always when you when you're meeting a, a stranger, someone that you don't know, and you engage in this, is there always that is it always tied n- neatly? And I can imagine that it can't always be, or or is this something that you're more speaking about? Like you're you're engaging in this with someone that you've already pre-planned that you're going to do this, which Lola also touched on. She would. Like plan an engagement with a couple yeah. people, and mm. they would talk it through before, because they all wanted to try different things. And then at the end, they'd kind of like regroup. I'm trying to put myself in that position to understand how you're doing it right. I suppose.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm talking about very specific kind of intimate scenarios mm. between people going to a club. A sex club or a sex party those those things are a bit different in terms of how you personally would approach it and also kind of what you're expecting to get out of it a lot of the aftercare i mean aftercare should also be a personal endeavor but a lot of the aftercare you're going to do is with yourself on yourself after something like that where you kind of sit in a bath and journal like oh my god and then there was another (laughs) dick Uh, Allowing yourself to be pleasantly caught off guard by the reality of your own life. (laughs) What I'm talking about, though, is the very specific dynamic that can be created between two people who want to engage in dominance and submission within this container. So I'm not even talking about 24-7 dynamics, which is also a possibility with people. No, it's not. It's never going to be perfect But if you can strive for everyone feeling good, then you can kind of use that as a barometer as to how successful both of you were, right? It's not just the, the dom's responsibility to make sure that the sub is okay. It's also the sub's responsibility to go inward and check in on themselves. Mm-hmm. And if they need to um, vocalize or express in whatever way feels good for them, that they're not okay, that they
3: do it in the moment or shortly thereafter. Right? It's the responsibility of both parties. okay. I feel like that's pretty consistent with the responsibilities of, you know, someone who's not in a BDSM situation too. like after, you know, you have sex with somebody or whatever something wasn't hit and right, the idea or the hope is that you would have safety with that person and be like, uh, like it wasn't aligned with this or, you know, this made me feel really great or whatever. I think it's very similar.
1: Well, I think it's important to note is that when you when you go to play at the extremes, mm-hmm. you become more, attuned to the nuances in the other areas of your life. So when you allow yourself to engage in BDSM practices or kink, or even if you step outside of, you know, the, the idea you have of yourself, when you come back, you you kind of see where there might be uh, a disconnect, and that you can that you can repair, and that you can revisit. One of the other things I did want to mention is when I mentioned that there's, you know, tops, bottoms, dominance, and submissives, there's also um, switches. And switches are people that can flow between a state of dominance and submission. This is usually dependent on the person or it's dependent on the circumstance if they're out in public or if they're solo. And these are people that feel really comfortable embodying kind of both of those roles, um, which I would say I probably identify with the most personally. Mm -hmm. Is that common? i I don't know, because I would have to I would have to investigate what what common is. Um I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. No, that was actually a perfect segue because we were just going to
2: get into the topic of switches. And for those of us who haven't actually experienced those roles ourselves, you've just touched on the differences. But are these relationships strictly sexual, or can these roles transfer? Into day to day life.
1: Well, you have people that definitely live within twenty four seven dom sub relationships, right? And so that is a constant. But I think with all things being on a spectrum, um, when it's the two of you, and you know, it's just the two of you together, you might feel. Ten out of ten submissive, but you might dial that to a 0. 0.5 at family dinner so you're not sitting and eating off the floor <laughs> on a leash. Uh, right. And your brother's like, What happened? Hello. <laughs> Time and place. Your guys. mom's aware. Of <laughs> Literally. You know? Literally. <laughs> like, this is Tony <laughs> so, He's Tony today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Are you down Tony? <laughs> <laughs> so, Nicole with the role <laughs> play. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> so again, it's a, it's a spectrum. Um what was your question? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, wait, as you just said that for those twenty four seven Dom sub relationships, are those often exclusive
1: relationships? Um it, I guess Depends. I mean really that would be up to the Dom right That oh. would be up to them. is it are you their only submissive um do they have more than one submissive? Orpheus Black is uh, a Dom whose book I'm reading right now called the Endo and it's all about the philosophy of submission and in that he talks a lot about uh how his submissives help each other be better submissives mm. um so he actually has a small community around him, which is which is really good, especially for younger or less experienced submissives being able to learn from those who have been in the lifestyle, um, which I always find is a funny term because it's almost like your lifestyle is outside of your life, or is it, you know, I don't know what's <laughs> the difference know. there. Let us know. <laughs> Call us. You framed it in a way that I thought was really interesting, which is asking, is it always sexual? And I think when we when we look at sexuality, it's so important to expand our scope of what constitutes sexual, right? Is that you're, it, these these dynamics are only happening when you're having sex um when you expand that where sexual energy is woven into all things there's really no beginning and there's no there's no end right and I would say a good Dom quote is someone who well I mean I always love saying that just because you're not wearing a collar doesn't mean you're not on my leash mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. psych- psychological um, like psychological dominance is what I find most interesting because it really means that you are, I almost look at it as being a gateway. You are the, you are the gatekeeper. You are the gateway to a version of this person that they don't necessarily feel like they can actualize
3: without you. So we know you're an advocate for sexuality involving psychedelics. So, what is it about that experience that makes it something that you
0: advocate so strongly for? And can you explain psychedelics? Which, like, when you're saying psychedelics, is there like, (laughs) like, which and which ones? Yeah, (laughs) we're talking shrooms. we talking acid. I don't even like. I I need to know all the information, Nicole. Yes. (laughs) So.
1: I'm specifically talk when I think about sexuality and psychedelics. I really like to talk about MDMA, and MDMA, I believe, is not being referred to as a psychedelic, but an adaptogen which is a term coined only recently, which is supposed to essentially mean like seeing from within or, or mm-hmm. inside feeling. And I like that term because that term is is really it's very similar to the root word of. Empathy, which means quite literally in seeing and being able to see a piece of yourself in another and love them as you wish to be loved. So when you mix MDMA and into a situation where empathy is possible, it almost it, it feels like it heightens it, like it brings it to the surface. Or we realize that our capacity to be loved is equal to our capacity to give love? And that there is a lot of love on the other side of fear. And what I find is that MDMA allows you to step into a world where fear isn't needed or necessary as a survival mechanism because you feel you already feel safe. And when you feel safe, you could ask yourself, well, what more is there to explore? Where can I go from here? Um so with these with these uh, events that I host, uh, the they're called the Garden of Earthly Delights. We have an MDMA ceremony and it's intended to just allow everybody to take a collective deep breath and to say, okay, we are safe in this space. Now let us explore and play. You touched on your series Men in Baths, which is such a
2: dope idea. Can you tell us about what really inspired you to create that
1: series and what you've learned by interviewing men in this state? <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember that I was sitting in a plane. It was 2017, and I was looking out the window at that perfect altitude where you're just far enough away for your problems not to matter anymore, but you're not too far that you can't see the little rows of houses and the car zooming by and begin to wonder about the lives of so many people that you'll never know. And I realized there was a word for that much later, it's called sonder. And I don't know why that was the moment, but for some reason, the idea for Men Who Take Baths was in my brain with such certainty that it felt like less of an idea of something that I had yet to do and more like a memory of something that I had already done. And I saw the whole thing laid out before me. I knew exactly how it was going to go. And I, I planned the entire thing. And about a week before shooting, the sexual assault allegations against Harvey Weinstein were published and Me Too happened. And I thought, oh, this is what that is. It is the documentation of the evolution of masculine psychology and male identity in a post-Me Too world.
3: The universe was that there hits. with you on yeah, that. Yeah, it was yeah. like,
1: just come on, you're going to put men in baths. Don't ask questions. Yeah. And I was like,
3: okay. <laughs> and so,
1: yeah, uh, what I what I've learned is, oof. I mean, one of the most interesting things was when I f- picked the first round of men. I picked men who are in my immediate circle or one degree of separation, or you know, one degree outside of that circle because i believe that they exemplified noble masculine behavior and they by that i mean you know they were outstanding community members and they treated women with respect and they were leaders in their in their own field and after i transcribed all the interviews i realized that some they had they all had something in common that i could not have possibly predicted ahead of time they all grew up without a father every single one of the men that i interviewed 17 of them were raised by a single mother. And that broke my heart because I thought, why do we have to remove the father, the male figure in order for this man to respect women? It's kind of like when a man has an epiphany and he says, well, that could be somebody's daughter or wife mm-hmm. or, you know, there has to be, there, there almost had to be that association with this person being worthy of your respect. And that was a big realization for me. It's like, how do we raise boys into men who view women as equal and worthy of respect without having to take away this idea? But really what that idea could represent is the patriarchy, which for a time served its purpose and now needs
0: to evolve so we can all move on. Mm Totally. I have to watch this series. I'm very interested. I think the vulnerability that you put people in to then have a conversation is such a beautiful thing. It's like again going back to the stripping away of all of the stuff that we bring around with us.
1: Yeah, it was interesting because again, like I feel not to self prophesize in any way, but I I really feel like I'm being guided with this, and I just I've I've really come to trust my intuition uh, deeply. There's a difference between the voice in my head that's me and the voice that's something else. And I feel like this project is guided so much by the voice that is something else. And a uh, psychologist who specializes in PTSD, especially for war veterans in the U S reached out to me a few months ago. And he says, do you realize that you are following the myth of Odysseus? And I was like, no. And- <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. I, not. <laughs> and we got on a, on a zoom call for about an hour and a half with myself and Flynn Skidmore, who's the psychotherapist that I work with, who runs the month long men's groups and he said, in the myth of Odysseus, Odysseus comes after war. He lands on the island, and the island belongs to the goddess Circe. And she turns all of his men into swine, into pigs, essentially, to help them see who they really are. Oh, well. I like <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> Where is this going? Yep. And she bathes, she bathes Odysseus. And it is only through the submersion in water, which in Jungian psychology represents the going down into your subconscious. It's only once he's in the water bathed by the goddess, who is representing the feminine archetype, where he's able to reconcile his femininity, the feminine aspects of his character, which had to be beat out of him in order for him to be a warrior. And it is in the bath that he becomes whole and that has been so much of the ethos of men who take baths, which is that, you know, emerge from the bath as a king. Wow.
3: That's a,
0: I love this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely leaving after this and watching men and bath all afternoon. Uh, a few of our experts that we've brought onto the show, we brought up the modern digital dating landscape. We know on apps like Tinder, Hinge, and Bumble, it's become common to see dom, sub, or taboo suggestive vocabulary in different profiles. What are some tips for navigating the online dating landscape with the o- overuse of these terms or the use of these terms? And how can we differentiate between inauthentic and authentic individuals? Oh, you mean when someone says, I'm dominant
1: yeah. in yes. bed, yes. 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 and you say, what does that mean? And they say, I will hit you. <laughs> and you say, what? what? <laughs> yeah, <they're>, like, Precisely. <laughs>
3: I wish I screenshotted all the ones that I always see, like, had I known we were going to do this because I see that stuff all the time. And I wish I could screenshot them because even in my like soul, I'm like, no, you this does not seem like that. That seems really weird. Like something in your spidey sense is like, Mm-mm. yeah. I think it's as simple as asking a few questions because again, a
1: dom is and I, I can't say all doms are psychologically sound, but if you are truly in your power as a dom, then you are not going to have a problem a matter of fact you are going to be excited by someone asking follow up questions because what you want is in order to have that positive exchange like in order to release into dom energy you need to know that it's going to be received and not just that it's going to be received but that it's wanted right like mm-hmm. and 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 submission is not Powerlessness. A matter of fact, in a state of submission, you realize the power that you have to give, right? As a Dom, you are realizing the power that you have to direct that through your attention. And so when someone just says, I'm dominant in bed, they're not a true Dom because they're exerting their will Mm -hmm. upon thee. Mm -hmm. And that is not, that is not a true energetic exchange. And so I think it's really important to to ask questions and also these men might have been told at some point or might have gathered in some way that that is what women want and so completely faulting them for expressing themselves in that way is going to cause them to feel hurt and also retreat and their them retreating might also look like retaliation and I know I know women are Exhausted and saying it's not my responsibility to teach these men. And you're right, it's not your responsibility to teach these men. But something that women do really well is the dissemination of information. And if you can ask this person a couple of questions that just gets them to think a little bit differently, or even just be like, hey, I understand that what you're saying is what you think I want to hear, but here are a couple of questions that I would love for you to maybe ask the next person. Like, what do you want?
3: <laughs> Imagine that. Start there.
0: For starters. <laughs>
3: so we talk a lot about porn. You know, we've talked about porn during this or uh, during this series that we've done. And if anybody opens their browser and goes to a porn site, um, you'll see a lot of videos about something about like double penetration, um, and. This was a question that came in. So, what are some ways to explore double penetration in a fun way that might not include a third person for someone who's curious about trying that? Okay, so this is uh, we're I mean
1: heterosexual. We're talking about like male and female in this particular sense. Yes. Or okay, um, okay. So double penetration that doesn't involve another person. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just you would get a toy, right? Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to do a toy because it's intimidating, well, you have five fingers and... Or Mm -hmm. five?
3: (laughs) Five? On each hand.
1: On (laughs) each
0: (laughs) hand. Five fingers and toes. (laughs) (laughs) I love
1: that.
0: (laughs) Wait right now we We're
1: we're counting. (laughs) We're we're all (laughs) double-checking. All to say you have many appendages that you can use. That where you don't have to integrate a toy into the bedroom because even if even if it's something that you think you want, um, bringing a toy into the room can feel intimidating. It can also feel like an expectation, and so just having a toy sitting there, such as you know a dildo or a vibrator or a butt plug. Could feel like you have, you know, a little minion in the corner of the room that's going, use me, use me, use me. And if you're not totally comfortable with the fact that it might be used, it might deter you from the entire exploration. So maybe just try sticking a finger in the butt or a toe. If
0: you're
3: into it, <laughs> whatever your kink Cut is, your nail, we love it. <laughs> <laughs> The
2: visual is really there. <laughs> um, Tongues are great too. <laughs> I know we touched on shabari. You out here just answering all of our questions in one so there's a big topic about restraints surrounding shabari. can you explain the difference between shibari and
1: typical bondage restraints well bondage can involve things like cuffs right oh. shibari we're specifically talking about a style of of rope and that can also uh involve lifting someone up rigging um being suspended right it's 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 intricate it's different and it doesn't necessarily need to be relegated to the floor the other thing about shibari really all bondage but shibari in particular because when you when you use cuffs um it's not as is not as difficult it doesn't take as much time there's something about the true art form that is shibari where you are you know if you're being if you're being tied you're feeling this rope move against your skin. Um, sometimes it burns. You're feeling someone pull it through it, whether they have to like pull it through your armpit to get a tie or they're reaching around you across your chest to do that. They're lifting up your hair to order in order to tie your hair or just to, to move your hair. The point is, is you're always being touched and you are present for every single second that you're being tied. Um, also, Being tied to be suspended is a completely different experience as well psychologically because you're feeling the rope on your body, but then you're also feeling the weightlessness of not touching the ground. Um, And there's I actually heard the other day of of a beautiful rope tie that was done where a woman uh, suspended her sub and then put a candle at the top of the rope where it was hooked into the ceiling and the wax was slowly dripping all the way down Bally. onto the woman's chest as she was exposed. Right, that's a completely different psychological journey than being handcuffed to a bedpost for Absolutely. instance,
0: mm. right? And who even has bedposts anymore? And who even has bedposts anymore? <laughs> yeah, chair
1: legs. <laughs> you are laying on the floor. Well, uh, that's okay, it's fine. Chairs
0: fun. moving with you maybe though. Yeah, yeah, it's got to yeah. be a sturdy chair. Yeah. Yeah. That can't hold just, me down. Just, I don't just, don't don't have,
1: no. <laughs> You have another person sitting on it. It's, there oh, was more
0: than one we person go, in the scene. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> but
1: here, but here's what's really interesting too is is I'm going to um, I'll, I'll so there's psychological weight, right? So I was um, I was in a scene with one of my submissives and we ran into this where there was nothing. I had him tied to a, a chair on the floor. Um, so when he was moving, the chair was moving, and I was like, "Well, this is unsafe." So I looked around the room and I was like, "Well, what is?" gee golly what is the heaviest thing in this room well my disappointment
0: oh and it is.
1: he had just bought me a crown and so i went over and i grabbed the crown and i put it on the edge of the chair so it was teetering there so if the chair moved even a tiny bit it would fall to the ground and i essentially said that you just bought this for me do you want me to only think about when you let me down every time i look at it forevermore (gasps) wow didn't move oh, an inch. Nope, never Ooh, fell. Like, so this is what Power I mean words. by psychological weight, right? <laughs> yes, it's
0: a beautiful way to look at. it. Damn. That was sick. damn. We're <laughs> like fuck a chair. Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> um, we spoke about so many interesting things on this episode. Um, from and I think a lot of mothers listen to this. So and a lot of mothers of daughters, including myself. I think w- when you were speaking about. The whole idea of repackaging virginity as something you know that's taken away from you, you know it it just puts that solidly in the patriarchy where we're always at a disadvantage. There's so many different things that we that you've talked about. and I'm wondering if you could share some resources where people could maybe get some more information because just that one piece about virginity it just rocks you. And it just shows you that that if we were looking at things differently and we are talking about things differently, the power dynamic just naturally shifts. Because we're looking at things in a way that we were never looking at it before. As if it was something we needed to protect, too, right? We have to, don't show, girls, don't sh- expose yourself, don't show, because you don't want someone to take that away from you. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm asking two questions And your one, sexuality so. right. isn't
1: inherently yours
0: because it can be taken. Bang oh. on. Like, I, 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 really and truly, I, I read a lot and I see a lot, but I've actually never like dialed down into that idea. I knew I always hated the idea of virginity. It's always bothered me that like, why is it so important to me and not to guys? Right. And I'm just like that, that dichotomy between male and female, because that's um, where you kind of learn about that. Uh, Unfortunately, we're not as exposed to all different kinds of sexuality um, as much as we should be when we're younger. But I think that, that that idea of of virginity really needs to be turned on its head. Uh, So, so like, deep within also religion, even though we as a people seem to be moving away from religion um, in North America. It still has
1: its tendrils and so many things that we do and talk about in the way that we behave. And, you know, especially if we're becoming more inclusive, Mm -hmm. the concept of virginity is so dependent on penetration, which then says that the only form, the only legitimate form of sexual expression is one that by its very nature discludes people who are queer. Yes. Yeah. Um, So the phrase that I've started using is sexual debut. Mm -hmm. And so instead of losing your virginity, you experience a sexual debut. And this this term was used in uh, academic publications, I think as early as 2007, um, but it might be 2017, I'll double check on that, where they were trying to say, okay, Let's not refer to this as losing your virginity. Let's call it sexual debut. But it never really went anywhere. I don't know how many people read academic papers. And um, it's still replacing one limiting term with another doesn't actually cause change. So the version of sexual debut that I'm really campaigning for us to use doesn't just replace losing your virginity with a celebratory term, which it is. But what it does say is your sexual debut can actually happen in many ways at any age throughout the course of your life. Mm -hmm. It is any pinnacle sexual moment where you feel most like yourself because our our sexual journey never ends. So the whole idea of so much pressure being put on virginity as kind of a precursor for how our life is going to be or how we're going to stay Again, is the antithesis of an expansive, sexually liberated society.
3: I love this word, expansive. Like I've, you've said it several times, and I'm really trying to drink it in. And it's very interesting because all of our episodes this month have had very common themes. Like, and one of them is this. Lola Jean spoke about your. She called it, I think, her sexual revolution, um, and it was the same idea. And you know, the concept of like these things happen throughout your life, and and we evolve and i think it speaks to even more so the idea that we're really obsessed with yes no either or like dichotomy only and no nuance
1: the binary the right binary supreme
3: the only <laughs> like it's this or that and and that concept i think we is where we start to like smash down these ideas like your sexual you know debut can be anything that you want it to be yes. and and it evolves and it's ever changing and i love that because i feel like it gives the power back to the person in question. It does. And speaking of that, I think it's an important thing to touch on.
1: When your first time, so this is again using this archaic idea Mm -hmm. of virginity, when your first time is taken from you through an act of violence, so you were raped, how is that person ever supposed to truly believe that they can reconnect with that part of themselves? Mm. When it's a sexual debut, when you know that it, that it's any moment that you feel that immense amount of pleasure where you step into your own, where you say, oh my God, I'm, I'm me right now in this moment. I'm so me. I'm the meest I've ever been. That doesn't depend on anybody else. And it doesn't mean that this one thing that happened to you is supposed to define you in any way at all. It's not your sexual debut. It's not. Your sexual debut is you feeling powerful. It's like the feeling you get when you're walking down the street and a good song comes on. And it's like your headphones are in and you're jamming and like everything becomes your own personal music video,
3: you know? And you're just like, oh, yeah, like this is me. When you said that, I didn't even think of the first time I had sex. I was like, I knew exactly which experience it was where I was like, mm.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting too, right? You ask men and women what their sexual debut was. And for a lot of them, it wasn't the first time that they had sex, right? No, It it was, you know, one of my sexual debuts was like the first time I kissed a woman, Mm -hmm. you know, and and allowed myself to feel what it felt like to kiss a woman without shame. Like that was a sexual debut of mine. It's something where in the lifeline, you know, when I'm on my deathbed, I'll look back and be like, wow, that was a really important moment. That was a pinnacle moment where I was most like myself. Uh, I think it's Thelonious Monk who says a genius is the one who is most like himself. That Bam.
0: So <laughs> Nicole where can everybody find
1: you online? I think the main hub would be my personal Instagram and then that kind of leads off into all these other things you would asked for some resources for sexual debut as well um or that that idea um sexualdebut.com you'll find resources there and I'm I'm updating it constantly my instagram is nicole double l so it's nicole n-i-c-o-l-l-e the word double and then another l because i have two l's in my name my name is not nicole Dubell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> tell them
3: oh my God, I love <laughs> that. just like
0: we're not coco and cowie yeah. yeah don't worry we get it <laughs> well thanks so much for joining us it was really insightful i feel refreshed yep and i want to learn more so thank you thank you so much nicole Thank you so much for joining us on this Sexual Health Awareness Month. I know we learned a ton and I hope you did too. If the last time you learned anything about sexuality was in sex ed and you haven't listened to these episodes, I think you better go back and take a listen. I implore you to take a listen. It was fun to explore sexuality through a different lens and to learn more. And we're all about opening our minds and learning more. Thank you to KY Canada for supporting us this month and follow KY Canada on social at KY Canada. Thanks again, and if you liked, I hope you share, subscribe, and like our podcast. Take care. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door.